What motivates you? What moves you to do better than you did yesterday? High standards are great, and reaching for better is admirable, but here's an unsurprising spoiler alert. Perfection is unattainable. What's more, even the goal of better is sometimes elusive. So if arrival is off the table, how we travel is more important than most of our goals. Our motivational fuel can be dissatisfaction with where we are or who we are. While an effective fuel, it doesn't burn very clean, it also can be sourced by systems of oppression, cultural shame for how we grew up, guilt over not being one of the few celebrated body types, or humiliation over mental health struggles can all be toxic sources of dissatisfaction. One of the worst things about these motivating fuels is they work. We get motivated by disliking ourselves. Our motivation leads us to double down on dieting, denying ourselves needed rest, and accepting impossible assignments or schedules. After reaching our goal, sort of, we soon realize we suddenly need something new to dislike about ourselves. If dissatisfaction in ourselves is our motivation, staying motivated depends on being dissatisfied. Self-loathing works till it doesn't. It's toxically sourced, generates low miles per gallon, and is terrible for our soul's environment. Unfortunately, we in spiritual circles have inspired the use of this fuel. We've encouraged self-laceration as a motivation for improvement. But for the spiritually connected, there's just one major problem. It's not the voice of God. Our Creator never says to us, You are inherently awful. Try harder. Cole Arthur Riley writes in a chapter entitled Dignity from This Here Flesh, How can anyone who is made to bear likeness to the master of the cosmos be anything less than glory? This is inherent dignity. How exactly did we get here? People who desire to do their honorable best, failing to see we begin from a place of fundamental worth. In his short but impactful book on Christian spirituality, Japanese faith leader Watchman Nee shows spiritual growth through three human actions, sitting, walking, and standing. Written in 1957, in only 65 short pages, Sit, Walk, Stand begins with our first motivation and explains our progression in spiritual development. Surprisingly, to start, we set. It seems counterintuitive, but think about what grace is to us. It's accepting a gift. It's God's work in Christ that we receive. Nee writes that we make the mistake of trying to walk in order to be able to set. But that is a reversal of the true order. Our natural reason says, if I do not walk, how can I ever reach my goal? What can we attain without effort? How can we ever get anywhere if we do not move? But Christianity is a queer business. If at the onset we try to do anything, we get nothing. If we seek to attain something, we miss everything. We often struggle to get this first motivation right, but when we live our worth, we remind ourselves we are enough, aren't behind in life, and don't have something wrong with us beyond eventual healing. We'll get there. As a blue-collar kid who's lived among blue-collar types most of my life, I can tell you this feels unnatural. This thinking can set off alarm bells about getting lazy or complacent. Living our worth is not in opposition to achieving things. We simply don't need to be motivated by the story of our being awful or not having worth until we perform things. How do we improve? Our first step is to hear our inner dialogue and listen to the inner critic that may be motivating us. For some, this is easy, but for many, this is something we've never done. 
and we don't feel deserving of this kind of sensory exploration. It seems high maintenance or soft. In my late 20s, I entered counseling for deep depression and anxiety. The counselor introduced me to guided meditation. I know, I can hear eyes rolling. But the only way we become aware of the voices, beliefs, and motivations is to get quiet enough to do it. In meditation, we become aware of our thoughts that are coming and going without judging them. Visualize thoughts like passing clouds. They only have the power we give them. We can see how our thoughts arise and fall away, seemingly independent of our originating them. Observing our thoughts takes practice, and it also is a practice. Below you'll find a free app that has greatly enhanced my attempts at becoming a better meditator. Noting our thoughts motivating us might be best illustrated with this nature parable. In 2021, a friend and I went on a short birding walk behind our house. She'd grown up in the Northeast United States and was familiar with all the birds we would be hearing and seeing. We walked a while and heard a very familiar bird song in the woods. Teacher, teacher, teacher is the song of the oven bird. The oven bird is a secretive little olive brown warbler. When we heard one nearby, I asked my friend if she'd ever seen one. She said no. I played its call from my phone a few times and in a matter of minutes, the smallish bird with an orange crown stripe landed on a branch just above us. For the first time, she'd come face to face with a bird that'd been singing her entire life. Noticing our inner thoughts for the first time can be like this. We have an ongoing dialogue that we've been used to hearing. We need to see the thoughts making up the background of our thought life. They aren't always cute or innocent. Dealing with them will be the subject of future discussions here. But first, let's get to know them, name them, come face to face with what's been calling across the landscape our entire lives. Then, as scripture invites us to take every thought captive, we'll find some friends and foes for our traveling. Be well.